You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Half hour! Hello, and welcome to Half Hour, an entertainment podcast through Two Worlds Entertainment. I'm Richie. And I'm Jeff. And we are here bringing you a casual conversation on the shows, films, concerts, music events, and performances that we see and observe throughout our careers. This conversation will feature some spoilers, so please make sure you see or listen to the piece we are discussing today. Before continuing on with listening to this episode, you have been warned. And today we are bringing you a very special episode on J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter and the Cursed Child performed on Broadway in New York City. So we saw this on Friday, January 28th, for any of you interested in knowing when specifically we saw it, we've been trying to put the specific dates that we've been seeing things so you can reference, because news changes a lot with Broadway and live performances, so... And who's in the cast on that day. Right, things like that, yep. So a little bit of a background on this, Um, amazing, amazing production. We're going to get a lot into the details of this. Mm -hmm. We have J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter and the Cursed Child uh, based on an original news story by J.K. Rowling, Jack Thorne, and John Tiffany. This is a new play by Jack Thorne. The creative and production... Creative and production team includes director John Tiffany, movement director Stephen Hodgett, set designer Christine Jones, costume designer Katrina Lindsay, composer and arranger Imogene Heap, lighting designer Neil Austin, sound designer Gareth Fry, illusions and magic Jamie Harrison, music supervisor and arranger Martin Lowe. And we have many other designers, video designers, Finn Ross and Ash J. Woodward, hair wigs and makeup by Carol Hancock, and a long list of associates. And I've never seen a creative and production team this large. It's it's astonishing to me <laughs> that this many people can make that happen. I mean, no, that's what it takes a village. It takes a large amount of people to work together to do that, let alone this cast, which is probably – uh, for a play, the largest play cast I've ever seen. And and actually for a musical, it could come really close to being such a – I mean there's so many people we're going to highlight and talk about here. The cast is very large. This is a 10-time Tony-nominated play. It won six Tony Awards. It won the Tony Award for Best Play, Best Director of a Play, Best Scenic Design of a Play, Best Costume Design of a Play, Best Lighting Design of a Play, and Best Sound Design of a Play. So the design elements – all are Tony winning in this production. I would like to remind everyone that pre-COVID pandemic shutdown, this play was performed in two parts. It was part one and part two. You could either see a matinee of part one, go to dinner, lunch or dinner, and then come back and see part two. Or you could go to two evening performances that go see a part one on a Tuesday night and part two on a Wednesday night, something like that. And I believe people had told me that it was quite long at that time. It was a few hours each part. Uh, we are seeing this show now in a post-pandemic world. It just reopened December of 2021. Now we're seeing it about a month after it reopened here. It is running as one show now. It was reconstructed for this Broadway production anyway to be one show. We, you go, you, there is no part one and part two anymore. They've condensed part one and part two. I'm going to assume part one being act one and part two being act two because there is a 15 minute intermission. The show was three hours and 30 minutes long. So it is quite an evening in the theater. And mm-hmm. that started right at seven o'clock. I don't even think it was seven oh one. I think it started right at seven. Yeah. And, and, and they got to tell a lot of story in a three and a half hour. <laughs> 
time there. So for those of you who may not know, and listen, I will say something. I'll let Jeff speak for himself. I like Harry Potter. I've read some of the books. I've seen most of the movies. I know. I haven't seen every movie. I'm not the biggest Harry Potter. I love it. It's great. It's so entertaining. I love the story. I know who the characters are. I follow it. I'm certainly not a hater. I, I'm, I'm not really obsessed. I don't, I don't really follow every bit of it. So kind of going into this, I was like, okay, I know most of how the books kind of ended. This Harry Potter and the Cursed Child is a, is a continuation. So for those people, for those of you who don't know, uh, this is 19 years later and Harry is now 37 years old uh, with Ginny and Ron and Hermione and they watch as their children board the Hogwarts Express and we watch the children go to Hogwarts 19 years later. And, and there we are. And then, and then we're at this very long show, which was, uh, which is great. It was just very long. And, and very long show. So I want to just start talking a little bit. What are your thoughts, Jeff, on just as a production overall, as a story, as a continuation of an extremely famous story? What were your overall thoughts of this whole production? Yeah, there's many questions in there that's kind of hard to answer. As a whole, okay, from a production standpoint... I think that from the fully immersive way that you're entering this amusement park style Broadway show to sitting in your seat for getting ready to see what happens, bringing us back in time or to present day time, um, it was fun. The, the stage was great. The scenic design was great. And getting you into that Harry Potter element was done really well. They certainly immerse you from the second you walk into the theater. There's gift shops upon gift shops, and there and, and it's a very immersive experience. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Disney shows will sometimes do that. I have certainly seen when we saw Natasha Pierre on Broadway that that entrance was a very. A lot of times, lobbies will be designed to immerse you. This is really immersive. You yeah. really feel like you're. I. There were times, of course, the show was Broadway quality, but there were times I was walking. And I was like, "Am I still in New York City seeing a Broadway show?" I'm like, "Am I walking into like an um, attraction at an amusement park?" Yeah, and, and, and I'm not saying that has anything to do with the talent because the talent was amazing. No, and it's been show. a while since we've been in the Lyric Theater. Yeah, which is huge. Well, I think the last and, thing we saw there was Paramore. Yeah, which um, was a few years. So, back. for me. I find that lobby of that theater to just be beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It, there's so many things to look at. I really like some of the touch that the Harry Potter team has brought to the theater. We were looking down and we saw the carpet even was reupholstered. And H's for and Harry H's. or Hogwarts or whatever. <laughs> and there yeah, was yeah. beautiful Harry Potter art added to the the walls and the ceiling. They added all of these interactive elements. It's almost like you kind of didn't want to leave the lobby right away because there was so much to see. Yeah, for sure. Before getting to your seat, Um, which also leading into that made it a little bit troubling because the first 10 minutes of the show, it was full of people late to their seats. Yeah, there was a lot of their drinks and their popcorn. And I was like, okay, it is a little bit of a touristy um, audience because, you know, this came a few years ago. We never saw it. So we finally put this on our list to see it. And we never saw part one or two. So we're seeing it of quite a few years later here. uh, And it's definitely um, people coming to the show who love the Harry Potter, you know, it seemed like it was a tourist crowd. There was a lot of latecomers. There was yeah. some, some people needing the mask reminder, needing the sh- quiet reminder, you know, and, and that's okay. We were upstairs, which was well, fine. It was we, actually cool to see it from upstairs. It was too. very cool to see. And yeah. it, we were not forgotten about up there. Oh, yeah, we no. actually won the lottery, the Friday 40 lottery. Yeah, which is, yeah, we were excited. Zone. So we were placed up there. We didn't Except really get they have a terrible banner 
like beam. Right, oh, like railing. Right yeah, it is. It is actually labeled on the ticket as obstructed view because there's this like ba- um, banister or like railing across the middle of the section, and it and kind you of blocks to, your view. You have to like look up or down. Sometimes you have to look yeah, up. Yeah, it wasn't down. ideal, it was a, but it, we made it. There work. was just some things distracting. So for me, going into the plot of the show now. Uh, it, it was hard for me to quickly get in because of distractions for the first 10 minutes and then trying to re- – for someone not being a big Harry Potter fan, I had to remember who's who mm-hmm. when it comes to Harry, when it comes to Hermione, when it comes to Ron. And now that they have kids on top of it and switching back and forth, it moves very fast. Yeah, so the I would plot- say the plot is – it's actually a great story. It's a really cool way to tell a story. I think J.K. Rowling and her team – tell these stories so well it's personally too much for one night in a theater yeah i actually maybe would have preferred i've seen shows in part one or part two i've done the dinner break in between and seen shows like that to me i'm like oh maybe they're maybe they cut scenes but the plot is and i understand they're kind of going on a book here and there's a lot to tell but there was a lot of moments i was like wait what what Wait, that's who now? Oh, you're here? It just is moving and it's moving and it's moving. And to me, I don't know if that forcing that much plot into a show for a few hours is is working. Right. In the plot perspective, it's totally working from a tell the story with the special effects and the acting. But it just seems like a lot of plot to me. It would be really interesting plot. to see someone who has seen both parts mm. and now has gone back to see this to see do they think it worked better as two parts because where is it it's running in london and it's running somewhere i think else, there's, or, some there's, there's some tours yeah, some and they're still projects. running as two parts i've heard i believe some of them are still running as two parts i think it's this one and maybe the tour in america as well might be running as one part one part okay yeah. mm-hmm. so for me I, I would love to know people's feedback on do they think it works better as a one-act play because it, it just for me it was a lot all at once Mm. and figuring out who's whose kid, where they're going to school, jumping back and forth. And then when they're becoming other people with the magic spells yeah. in that one scene, I'm like, oh, you're technically this person, but you're the actor playing this person. It got a little much. But, but I will tell you, though, for me, the special effects overrode that for me because right. I was below I – I will make this statement. I have never seen a live production anywhere – Broadway, an amusement park, a tour, anywhere with yeah. with special effects like that. Oh, I have good. never seen – I don't even know if I've seen magic shows or circus shows with special effects like that. It was absolutely mind-blowing. And I sat – I remember saying to you when I left, I said, I can maybe – and I, you know, I've worked a lot in theater. I know how some of the trapdoor mm-hmm. tricks work. I would say about half of those tricks I could kind of, oh, I, I think I know how they did that. I think I know how they did that. But there were some that was like, I have no idea how they did that. I would have to really like go ask people and watch them do it backstage because totally. it was amazing. Well, I think we have to highlight some of the things here. Yeah. And that's especially with the scenic design of this and then the special effects portion of this. And I don't know how much of that comes from the director, but – Whoever is working on the team with this scenic design and these special effects, they really, really knew how to hide everything. Well, the lighting is also very important to that. There were moments where that lighting was so precise that if an actor stepped one inch in the wrong direction, they're in an exposed light or in the dark. That was amazing, the way that was lit. And one thing I noticed with the actors is they are so well-trained in knowing where every single piece of 
set needs to be because mm. you can see them. They made a part of their acting skills to move a staircase if it was in the wrong spot, right. to move a chair if it was in the wrong spot. Because you can see all the miking, uh, the tape on the stage. Yeah. And I watched them at one point. They're in the library and they're moving the staircase over because it was in the wrong spot. Oh, yeah. But it was so – it was done so effortlessly that only a real theater person probably would notice that they were doing it. I did – I kind of feel like there were a couple of mishaps last night, but nothing too crazy. No, no, no. I would barely notice. Yeah. But for some of the magic, that lighting is everything. And that you can watch when this the downstage is kind of lit so dark and then it slowly – moves back farther or up yeah. or back mm-hmm. just because someone is coming and they're moving set pieces yeah. that you can't see them now because they're in all black. But it's done so well that you don't even know what's happening. To me, like the, the things that stood out, sliding through the fireplace and the fire instantly oh, coming yeah. back on again, that was just miraculous. The book getting sucked into the bookshelf and out of the bookshelf. The, the uh, what I, I, oh, I was blown away whenever the video projection shook the whole theater oh, yeah. and it would shake. I really thought the whole building was shaking. I was like, this is precise video design. And that's done with the sound design as well. The sound, exactly. The yes. effect of it happening on your ears the, and the, the stage rippling almost yeah. to go back in time. Everything having to do with the Dementors flying over the audience on the stage, it was haunting. It was frightening to me with the sound effects of it. Mm-hmm. It was like really scary and it was really awesome. And the sound was great. The, I, I was also really impressed with the pool, the lake. Yeah. I mean, you have real water pool on stage and they're wet and they're going in there. And I'm like, they're mic'd. I hear their voices coming through the sound system. How is that happening if he's submerged in water? I'm like, these are all things that I'm just blown away with this yeah. special effects is to there keep a this. stage mic or something? Maybe, like? maybe. I mean, I, there's got to be. I wish they gave like a come take the behind the scenes tour if you want us to ruin all this magic for you. <laughs> um, I also say something an average play or musical. And someone could correct me if I'm wrong on this. I would say has two to three stage managers, maybe four. Mm-hmm. This has one, two, three, four, five, six stage managers on this team. Wow. There is a production stage manager, a stage manager, and four assistant stage managers. Those are the people also really running that show backstage. And I remember I re- at the bows, everyone's bowing. I'm like, this is amazing. And I was like, where's the production team bow? Yeah, I, I I always think a production team or stage manager should bow after any show because they all work so hard. But for this in particular, it was like, I want to stand up and applaud every single person who is making this happen mm-hmm. backstage. Because those cues are so important. Oh my gosh, <laughs> yes. And it's like a whole uh, – there's a whole other crew of people working backstage at the same time as the actors working on stage. Yeah. So it, I was just blown away. I've never seen effects and design like that. I think what's cool and interesting about this show, too, is, like, for the story purpose, does it translate for people that are not real Harry Potter fans? And I would say, yes, I think there's so much more there that you don't really need to go back on the history because they give you a history lesson throughout. Yes, and they bring up the characters again. And then for the Harry Potter fans, this is either they're going to love it or hate it. It could be either a treat for them or they're just like, no, Harry Potter should have ended when it did. We didn't need this, you know, journey in the future. But I do think if you are a diehard Harry Potter fan, you should go and see this, right? Oh, yeah. But also if you're not... 
you should still yeah, go and see it. Yeah, of course, because I'm, I'm, I wasn't totally versed on every single character and plot point from all of those books and movies, and yet I was still able to follow along. Right. And that's not my issue. I didn't have a hard time following along. I just thought there was too much going on there was too that much I was like, out. whoa, 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 whoa. But I could follow it. It was something I was able to be able to – I could still follow the plot. Well, I think there was too much going on until a certain point. Mm-hmm. I think in the beginning, just that whole initial get the kids to Hogwarts was a lot. It was yeah. like, we just need to tell this quick yeah. little story here. And then once they were there, like an interesting part to this was Harry has, uh, Harry has two sons. And for some reason, the older son or the son that's the same age kind of goes disappearing um, from the plot. I Yeah. <laughs> you probably didn't even I didn't even know that. that so, okay. Yeah, because they're like going back and forth the whole time in the beginning. And one of Harry's sons gets into. Oh, yes. Yes. Gryffindor, you're right. 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 And. Harry, his other son, then goes into. I, unless that was his friend, I didn't even know that it was his other son. I thought it was maybe his no, friend. It's his I didn't, son. Yeah, that's so. why, and that's why they have that whole moment at the end of the show where they're talking about, well, what about your? I I don't know their names, but what about your other son? Yeah, and he's like, no, because you are like me, and that's oh, why yeah, yeah, Harry yeah. had such a hard time yeah. with his son. Mm. What is it, Aldonis or uh, Albus? Albus. Oh, Albus. Yep, yep, yep. Albus Potter is the son that most of the time being talked about. And he was wonderful. I thought Scorpius Malfoy was wonderful. Harry Potter, played by Steve Haggard, was wonderful. He's carrying so much of the show. Oh, my gosh. So many, so many amazing characters. Oh, a big shout out to Michaela Cannon, who's playing Moaning Myrtle as many as other characters. (laughs) That is just amazing, the scene she does. She's so comfortable in that role. That was just really, really, really wonderful. I think one thing, too, and I don't know if you felt this way, but there is so much magic. And I think – and this and the set moving and it's just you're so immersed in the scenic design that I don't know if you kind of overlook the plot of the show, though, and the acting that's happening. And we're just so like, when's the next magic going to happen? Like, when's well, the next – Well, sure. I hope – yeah, I know what you're saying. Although the acting was superb across the board. I thought it was really, really impressive. Yeah, I, but I understand was what there you're anything saying. groundbreaking? Well, they're Not, playing a lot of characters that have already been played many times. Right, so it's like a lot of character acting, which like, for me, it's like... Mm. Well, when I saw like the Professor McGonagall, that was very similar to the movie. Mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, things like that. I also think... But then you have like someone like Ava Kaminsky is playing Ginny Potter. You're seeing an adult Ginny Potter. We always remember Ginny Potter as a young person in the movie mm-hmm. so that was an opportunity to play a different and like make it your own you know? right right i think that the way harry potter was played at this was very different though yeah it was cool it was kind of more so like, i guess yeah kind of the stoic like not so mm. lovey young harry potter yeah we're well, so used naive to. or not yeah. immature or young yeah, yeah and yeah. then for this it was a little bit more like okay now he's a dad and it's interesting watching them like as adults it's hard to picture them as these like people with kids Mm. right well it's a we've gone 19 years ahead right (laughs) so it's interesting and i also think what's interesting is the music was very interesting to me it was very light the sound design was like heavy and and like intense i think the moments were like wow and then when the music would come i just remember the movies i know this is not a movie but the movies had this beautiful orchestral soundtrack to it with all these instruments and it was this like full orchestral film Mm -hmm. score and then I see this and it was very like light. It was like acapella sounds with like light instrument. It was like a very different approach to the music. To me personally, the music didn't match what was going on on stage. 
stage. Yeah. I would have appreciated full orchestration, dramatic orchestration, maybe even a live orchestra playing some of this live, just as a film score. I don't know. But to me, the music was hit or miss. At times it was like, oh, amazing. And at times I was like, wait, wait, why is this scene change sounding so light? And I feel like we need more dr- drama in the music here. Just my opinion on it. But I don't know if you I felt the of, same. I think I agree. I know who Imagen Heap is, though, and that whole composing up in that style. And it's very that, um, mm-hmm. but I do felt at times it felt a bit amateur, mm-hmm. especially during the scene changes, because sometimes it was very effortlessly done. And other times, like a lot of the staircasing movement to kind of drive plot or tell plot with that music, it was like, Simple. It, it's almost too, too not enough. Yeah. And I thought there should have been more of a, it didn't have to be a film score, but it could have been a la that maybe. Well, I think that wizardly element or that fan fantasy element was missing. Mm, mm. That more stuff that we probably hear when you go to universal and you're walking around Harry Potter world. And it's that, that fantasy kind of style instead of this more synthy, like laid back kind of vibe. Early 2000s, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, I'm in ninth grade again. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. Also, yeah, I, I, I think that some of the music, at times it was really on it, and at times it seemed to be a little just like lackluster for me. Totally. But I have a question for you about this, taking a step out of this a little bit. Mm-hmm. When you see, so J.K. Rowling has created a world. Yeah. Not just a town, not just 10 people, a whole world. And people have expanded prequels to that world and sequels to that world. Another prime example, F.L. Baum created Oz. Mm-hmm. And we have seen The Wizard of Oz. We have seen prequels to that. We have seen sequels to that. And a world has been created. And when you create a world, you have created towns, people, villages, problems, families, societies. You created a whole world. Mm-hmm. Does the world work when it comes to Broadway, because clearly you kind of need to have seen Wizard of Oz, but as long as you kind of know Wizard of Oz, Wicked works. Mm-hmm. And you kind of see Harry Potter, and if you know Harry Potter, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child works. These prequels and sequels seem to be, at the mega level, working really well. My question to you is, do we need to or could we be seeing more of that in a, on Broadway stages? I mean, taking a very famous story and prequeling it? And or sequeling it, because we're not seeing Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone on Broadway. We're not seeing The Wizard of Oz on Broadway. I mean, yes, we could, Mm -hmm. but what's working is these spins on these characters. Let's find out really about the Wicked Witch of the West. Let's really find out about Harry Potter as an adult. So my question to you is, is it well, clearly prequels and sequels are working for worlds. Do we need playwrights and writers and authors maybe to be creating worlds that we could be developing subplot and sub-subplot off of. Because I think it works, and I think maybe once in a while we need to see some more of that. To me, I personally only think it works if it's famous story. So if The Wizard of Oz was barely something no one really knew, and then Wicked came, maybe it would, or if Harry Potter wasn't successful, but you're talking about wildly successful films and books. Does it work to prequel and sequel them and then put those on the stage? Mm. I think it works. I think it's amazing. What do you think? Interesting. I like it. I think that this 
Yeah, I do think that this is a model that could potentially work better than more of these like, hey, let's just throw a biopic musical up on the stage or, hey, let's just do a musical version of Mean Girls or Mrs. Doubtfire. Like, wouldn't some of these shows be a lot more interesting if we, you know, the musical was about Mrs. Doubtfire after where the movie left off? Or before. Well, we kind of know before. Yeah, no, I know. But I'm saying anything could be prequeled or sequeled. Yes, but what I'm saying, yeah, that's where it's yeah. interesting, though. Like, uh, we haven't seen Mrs. Doubtfire, so I don't know. But, yes, where what, where does that leave yeah. us in the musical form? Yeah. And why don't we do more of that? Why don't we start stuff more on the stage? Because this can obviously, this Harry Potter and the Chris Child can obviously have a movie added totally to it at some point. Totally But, like... Wow, really cool to go from, you know, book, book to play. play instead and, of book to movie. And how do you know producers weren't like, we want to put Harry Potter on a Broadway stage. And they said, wait a second, actually, don't put one of the eight stories or all eight stories or whatever mm-hmm. you want to do. I put this post story story up there. Yeah, I think that's really smart. And when you have people writing the books, I, it's nice that it comes from a book first. Like Wicked was a book. Mm-hmm. And then someone adapted that for the stage and Harry Potter and the Girl Show was a book and it was adapted. It's cool to see some of these stories and and I say prequel and sequel because I do think it could be both. Wicked is a prequel and it works. This is a sequel and it works. Yeah. I think seeing these stories and what was this person like before X, Y, and Z or what happened to these people after X, Y, and Z? And then you, but here's what happens. Wicked uses the magic of the story and the magic on stage. And ironically enough, these are both magical-based, fantasy-based stories. But there's the magic of Moni Myrtle's in the movies. Did she have to be in the story? I mean, maybe not. But it worked because we all know it's a it's a, someone we know. It's a funny character. It's a scary character. And we know that. So yeah. put it in. When you have the broomsticks, when you have some of these the Dementors, we know them already. So put them in. It makes sense. And we kind of talk about this in other ways, too. Like what makes some of these biopic movies and musicals also interesting, too. You know, when you have what were the five days leading up to Judy Garland's death? That's super interesting for the as a film, film, Judy. Right, right. Instead of just saying, let's tell Judy Garland's whole, whole life story. story. Right. Right. You know, what specific m- moments, right? Because the wicked tagline is so much happened before Dorothy dropped in. Yeah. So we don't, we do see a, Dorothy does come at the end of that play, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we mm-hmm. see a version of Dorothy come and we see how all these people knew or didn't know each other or what their relations were. So I don't know. I find it's clearly selling. Wicked and Harry Potter and the Girl Child are the most, some of the most successful shows like ever on Broadway. And so, like, it works. So maybe we need to keep seeing a little more of that instead of. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Retelling some of the same things. I just thought that was an interesting question. And I think we also can think about this because, like, what's next? Does this story continue? It could. This is kind of bumping off of that. Yeah. Because, like, can they continue this story? Does it need to continue after this this story? Well – you know, because we do get left off with we don't know what actually happens to um, Voldemort's daughter. In a way, yeah. And then you also, well, it's interesting because could this be one of the first times we see something where, like, we were we as kids were roughly the age of Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. He's a little older than us, but when when his character was, so now we're entering the age where 
people are having children and now Harry and his friends are having children. So does our generation 20 years from now tell the Albus Potter having children story when we, and they're having do do we take this story through generations and a generation when we were children to when we're 80 years old sees multiple levels of growing up with this character i think it could happen <laughs> lots of possibilities but i i know we're talking about many other things besides the actual show but i just thought this was interesting to That's see this what these conversations do there we go we just <laughs> go on the tangents we love it so um, oh. there we go. We're running out of time. So here we go. Half hour roundup. What is your one minute roundup here on JK Rowling's Harry Potter and the Cursed Child? Here's my roundup. Uh, I'm not a huge Harry Potter fan, not because I don't want to be, but because I, it definitely consumes a lot of your time to either read the books or have the movies. And I just have never done it. I think that this was really great to see as not being an avid Harry Potter fan. I think definitely go see it for the direction, the set design, the magic, the story, the acting. It all was really done well. And it was a great experience to get out of your house and go into a theater and see something. Maybe you don't sit um, at the top of the theater because there's a lot going on up there too that's not part of the show, but it becomes part of the show. Yeah. But uh, get a better seat. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. It was one, yes. And I would say my wrap up here is it's amazing to see live magic like this and to tell stories like this. And it's, and it's, and it's for all ages and it's enjoyable and it's great. I would totally recommend it to anyone to go see it. And I, like I said, I've never seen special effects like that on a stage ever in anything I've ever seen. I've seen special effects, but nothing like that. So run to see this because I feel like when, you know, more and more people are coming into the city to see shows, this is going to, and now there's only one time you can see, you can't, it's not part one, part two, try to go see it. Which that should open up more. Well, hopefully it will. Yeah, because maybe some people can't see part one and part two because of time or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening today. We hope you enjoyed our podcast recap here of J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Please subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or Apple Music. Leave us a review if you love with your if you love what you heard today. We also want you to join in our conversation and engage with us. Head over to our Instagram at Half Hour Podcast. That's at half hour podcast and comment on the latest post about this podcast episode we'd love to hear from you more shows coming up more music recaps coming up all those wonderful things so we're gonna sign off for now and saying until next time i'm richie and i'm jeff signing off saying ta-ta Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.